Hello, I'm Father John Downey, and you've reached the Miracles Among Us podcast. Um, I'm an Orthodox priest, and I was raised Protestant, and I converted to the Orthodox faith. And in the particular Protestant sect that I was raised in, the Reformed Presbyterian Church, uh, which, you know, they did a lot of good things, but they also taught officially that there were no more miracles being done on the face of the earth. Now, fortunately, my parents didn't believe that, and a lot of the Reformed Presbyterians don't believe that, but that's the official teaching of that particular sect. And the idea behind this particular platform is for you, listeners, to have a place where you can tell your story about how God has affected your life in a miraculous way. Sometimes that might be a small uh, what other people would think, people who aren't faithful, would be a coincidence. Other times it's a dramatic, obviously uh, direct intervention by God himself in our lives. And this is a platform for us to, to proclaim the glory of God and to proclaim the reality of God. Because so many people in our day and age don't believe in God because they think God is an abstract idea or some God far away from us not a God that is personal, not a God that is active, not, that a, not a God that is right beside us. So this is a platform uh, primarily for Orthodox people, but for anyone, for Catholics or Protestants or, for, or anyone who has had a miracle uh, in their life to contact me. Uh, you can contact me at miraclesamonguss at yahoo.com and you can tell your story. It's good to be with you again. Um, we have uh, a couple of amazing events, miracles, maybe stories. Uh, this is a little bit of a uh, different thing for us, in which you know someone wrote in, someone that uh, I'm familiar with, someone that I know very well, and um, this this particular event happened when I was in um, serving as a priest in Romania at the so-called Russian church. I, I call it the so-called Russian church because it was a church built by St. Nicholas II, and it was in uh, Bucharest, Romania. Uh, Romania. It was a Romanian church, but because it had Russian architecture, and uh, during the Soviet regime, it was donated to the Orthodox Church of Romania. So it was a Romanian church, but we called it the Russian church because of the architecture. And when I, while I was serving there, this event happened, and I knew it very, uh, you know, I was aware of it happening in real live time. So I might add a couple of things uh, to the letter. I, I don't really feel great about that, um, but the letter is a very humble letter, and it's anonymous. And I wouldn't do it if it weren't anonymous. So uh, I think I will add uh, some, at some point some details that I know for sure happened that were not put in here. And they weren't put in here. Because the person who wrote in um, was a very humble person, and they didn't want to. Um, well, you'll see when we get there. And then I'm going to add on a little event that happened to me when I was in Manathos, um, and you'll see why it's kind of connected. 
So I'm not the, I'm not the greatest reader, unfortunately. Uh, but I will I will read this this email that got sent to us. So this this is I, I'll just give you a little bit of context. This I'll, I'll just say that this person is uh, I don't remember if she, I did read the email. I don't remember if she mentions who that she it's it's a female. I don't know if that makes any difference or not, but just so you know. <laughs> okay, so here we go. I was born in 1977. Oh, also, by the way, this person knows English very, very well, but there are a few little, uh, uh, you know, it's very, very hard to speak English perfectly if you're not living in, you know, England or, you know, Australia or something like that. So there might be a few little uh, things that, that aren't perfectly correct. Okay. <clears throat> I was born in 1977. I have been raised as an Orthodox Christian. I'm 46. I'm married and have a 13-year-old child. I'm a lawyer and I live in Bucharest, Romania. During the communist period, mothers could only spend two months with their newborns. And therefore, when I was two months old, my mother preferred to send me to the countryside, to her parents, rather than to put me in a daycare nursery. She considered me safer there, which was indeed correct. My parents used to visit me every weekend and took me home in the city during the holidays. Being a teacher, my mother had a three-month holiday during summer, plus three other two-week holidays throughout the year. I was brought up by my grandmother, Constantina, who was a very simple but faithful person. I met uh, Constantina, by the way, and I, I spent some time at her uh, house. She's a very wonderful lady. She did not know any common stories, so I did not grow up with Snow White or Cinderella as other children, but with the stories from the gospel. I still remember how impressed I was by the words, it is easier for the camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. That was all my Christian education. In the city, my parents would not go to church nor pray as my grandparents used to do every single morning and evening before bed. I went to high school and then I went to the university and my faith seemed to dilute while my good habits had completely disappeared. I did not pray anymore. I was just thinking of myself that I was a faithful person, but in reality, did not go to church, even if by the time after 1989, the communist period had ended and everybody was free to go to church. In 2005, my mother had gotten really sick. More specifically, some of the bile ducts in the liver got blocked, apparently due to a foreign body fibrosis that she had developed after surgery in 2000 for the removal of the gallbladder. Basically, in the previous surgery, the doctors had implanted a tube to lead the bile from the liver directly into the intestine. That tube had been now encapsulated into tissue, which had infiltrated into her liver and blocked the internal liver ducts. So she started to suffer from a form of liver insufficiency and developed jaundice. They gave her 50%, a 50% chance to live, 
if she went through a liver operation. My mother said, well, if I do not go through this, I have 0% chance. If I do it, I have 50% chance. So she decided to take the chance and have the fibrosis removed. However, during the surgery, the main surgeon simply fell off his feet and his colleagues took him out of the room directly to intensive therapy. So I'll just say, I'll say that one more time. The, the doctor passed out basically during surgery, the main surgeon. Yeah. I do not know what happened exactly with her, but what is clear is that immediately after the surgery, she went into a coma. The doctors told me that she would not make it and asked me to inform my relatives and her relatives to bring her her funeral clothes. They gave me her rings and her earrings and said that basically they will only give her one more adrenaline shot after which she will pass away. I went to the small wooden church inside the hospital yard, which I found empty. It was Thursday morning. There was absolutely nobody in the church, just me and the icons. I tried to pray, but I realized I could not say a single word. I had simply forgotten how. What's more, I realized I could not pray until and unless I forgave somebody who had done me a lot of harm. I said to myself, I have to try this. Let me, let me just interject something here. Um, those, you can tell that this person actually knows how to pray, because if you ever prayed, I, I, maybe they don't even, I don't even want to say deeply, but if you've ever prayed, you know that you can't pray if you haven't forgiven other people. It's So this, this is a phenomenal thing. It's so important. Or at least, at least, or at least try, right? At least be struggling for it. But it seemed clearly the most difficult thing I had ever tried to do, and I felt truly helpless. I could not conceive forgiveness for that person. I started to scream. I started to, I shouted. I cried. I simply did not know what to do and how to do it. So I told God I could not forgive. I did not know how. And I asked him to teach me how to forgive because I was very willing to. I genuinely understood that I could not even send a prayer for my mom unless I learned to forgive. So after one day in which instead of praying for my mom, I tried desperately to learn to forgive while I was questioning in parallel why is it requested from us to forgive? I think I fell asleep just as I was on my knees. And the last thing I remember is that I asked the Holy that, that I asked the Holy Mother, she fell asleep on her knees, please hold her in your arms just as you hold your own son. In the meantime, being Thursday. People started to gather in the church for the Acathist of St. Nicholas. So I raised my head and remained still on my knees when I heard my brother behind me say, Come quickly, Mother is now awake and wants to have some tea. 
where can we get some tea for her? Now, let me back up just a second here because again, I was aware of this miracle, you know, pretty much when it was happening. And I forgive me for interjecting myself here, but uh, this is a very humble letter. So it's written here. I think I fell asleep just as I was on my knees. And the last thing I remember is that I asked the Holy Mother, please hold her in your arms just as you hold your own son. But what the, the author of the letter did not put in is that she prayed all night long doing prostrations. So all night long she did prostrations. As much as, as, much as she could. I'm sure she shouldn't do the prostrations all night long. But she prayed all night long doing as many prostrations as she could. And therefore she fell asleep on her knees. And, her, and with her last plea, please hold her in your arms just as you hold your own son. So then her brother comes and says, come quickly, mother is now awake and wants to have some tea. The woman who was going to be buried, right? I just could not believe my ears. Nobody getting out of a coma asks for tea. I was very confused, exhausted, and could not really grasp the whole picture. We both entered the intensive care unit. My mother was perfectly awake, smiling at us. And when she saw me, probably I had a very troubled expression. She said to me, but sweetie, I'm okay. What did you think? Everything was just fine. Anyway, while I was sleeping, I felt that the Holy Mother held me in her arms, just like her own son. My mother spelled the same, uh, my mother said, the same words, precisely, exactly the same words I had said to the Holy Mother when there was nobody in the church but me and the icons. At 11 o'clock at night, Professor and Dr. Irinel Popescu, the chief surgeon, came at the hospital home uh, from home and told me and my mother that he had no medical explanation for what had just happened with my mother. My mother lived for two more weeks during which she confessed and got Holy Communion because she had, her mother had also been a little bit away from the church, right? So this is a very big, this is very big for us Orthodox before you die to be able to confess and receive Holy Communion. This is a huge blessing. She used to walk through the, to the hall, to, to hallways. She used to walk through the hallways praying and crying and praising God. At that time, my brother, who was nine years younger than me, had a very aggressive form of hepatitis C. Now, this is a part of a miracle that I didn't, I didn't even, I don't even, didn't even remember or didn't know. At the time, my brother, who is nine years younger than me, had a very aggressive form of hepatitis C. Hepatitis is very, very well widespread in, in, uh, in Romania, unfortunately. While being given interferon, his thrombocytes were went severely down, being lower than thirty thousand, while the minimum is 150,000. The only solution offered by the doctor in order to give him a chance to complete his interferon treatment was to remove his spleen. I was therefore supposed to check in my brother on the exact same floor of the hospital where my mother was without my mother knowing that he was there and what was going to happen to him given her very fragile status. We were supposed to have some blood tests done and then get him into the hospital. So you get it? Uh, while her mother was in the hospital, her brother was supposed to be getting his spleen out because he was in danger of dying himself. 
One day during that period, my mother told me, look, I had this dream. There were three patients and a nurse, and they put us all in an elevator, which went up very, very rapidly. So we all ended up before God himself. And God asked us if we wanted to live or if we wanted to die. And I said, God, I want to live for my daughter and for my son. God said, all right, all right then, you shall live for your daughter and your son. But then I realized I was walking drain free. In other words, without the, without the you know, medical interventions through the streets of my own city. But I could see behind every window, my picture with candles and everybody cried as if I was dead. So that's her mother's dream. She said to me, I think I'm going to die. I don't, I don't want to make this into a whole big theology thing, and I don't want to talk about theology very much uh, in this particular podcast. Uh, so we won't get into the whole dream thing. Most of you who are Orthodox know that we don't hold a lot of weight. We don't put a lot of weight with dreams. But nevertheless, sometimes, every once in a while, uh, God does communicate to us through dreams. I'm not saying it one way or the other here, you know, make up your own minds. I shouted at her, how can you even think of this? The doctor, Professor Irina Popescu, told you clearly that once you are awake, nothing bad can happen to you anymore. You are making such stories. In reality, I was really upset by the stream. Somehow, it really gave me chills up and down my spine. I went home, I prayed, then I went to bed. So I started to dream. I dreamed I was in a garden that was so beautiful with golden grass and flowers and all colors. And I saw some berries that were as big as pineapples. And I said to myself, I should pick some of these berries for my mother. But when I tried to touch them, I heard some dogs barking. So I got really scared and they woke up. I just knew that something had happened with my mother. I called the hospital and they told me that she had just, they had just taken her into the intensive care unit as she went back into a coma. I started to pray to the Holy Mother again and again, but I just realized that last time when I gave her to, when I asked her to give me my mother back, it was for myself, not for her. So she started, let me just read that phrase one more time. I started to pray to the Holy Mother again and again, but I realized that last time when I asked her to give me my mother back, it was for myself, not for her. So this time I said, God, Lord, you love her in a way I could never love. So in your infinite love, please do for her what is best for her, not for me. I went to her and I asked her if she wanted to wake up. She smiled at me very distinctly as if she said, so, so again, let me just say that again. She was in a coma and our friend here went to her and asked her if she wanted to wake up and she smiled clearly while she was in coma. As if she said, if only you could see what I see. A few minutes later, they announced her passing. This happened on a Tuesday. On Wednesday, we took her from the morgue to our hometown to our drive. My brother was supposed to get his own surgery on Wednesday, but given my mother's death the day before, we could not get him into the hospital. However, so in Romania, funerals happen a lot faster than they do here. However, we had to keep him monitored given the situation and his fragility. So once we got into our hometown, I had sent him with my neighbor, who was a nurse, 
to take some blood tests to test his thrombocytes. The funeral took place on Friday. On Monday, I checked with the hospital, and they said that they could only have him checked in on Thursday that week, but that in principle, he should be okay until then. I went to the office, and on my way, I remembered I had dreamed that night about my mother. In my in my dream, I saw her standing next to me and say, come on, your brother is healed. The kid is okay. Cheer up. Then on a, on a completely different note, she said, you know, each and every Wednesday, you know, okay, listen to this, you know, each and every Wednesday, the Holy Mother goes down into hell and brings more and more souls up here. Then I remembered that we had not checked the results of the blood tests. So I called my father to go to the clinic and asked for the results. My father called back during the day and said that the thrombocytes are now in the range of normality, 180,000, 180,000, up from 30,000. I said this could not be right. So I took him to repeat the tests in Bucharest. The results were even better, 190,000. So my brother did not have to take the surgery or to remove his spleen. Thinking backwards of my mother's dream, where she had asked God to live for me and my brother, I can only think that in his infinite love, God offered my mother the life, in all capitals, in other words, the true life, the only life in which she could really and most effectively help me and my brother through her prayers. My brother is currently healthy and virus-free, while all of these had restored in me the faith that my grandmother had seeded in me when I was a child. So that is another indication of, again, I don't want to get into all the theology about things like that, but one of the big indications of when miracles are real or visions are real or dreams are real, I mean, all, all dreams are real, you know, we don't necessarily understand them, is when they lead us back to the church which is the body of Christ. So that's that's a, a important factor here. So I know from her life that indeed those events in her life brought her back to the church. So I'd also like to add one, um, this podcast will be a, bit, a little bit shorter than some of the others, but I'd also like to add something that I experienced. And this isn't really, you can't really call it a miracle, but it's it's something that is, uh, somewhat fantastic and um, corresponding with the person who sent us this email. Um, I was reminded of something that had happened to me, which I spoke about when we spoke about this miracle. And, it's, and, it's, and you'll see how it's connected. You'll see how it's connected. So when I, when I was becoming Orthodox, I, uh, I ended, up, ended up in Mount Athos and I hadn't been uh, baptized yet. And um, all of the monks, all of the monks, Mount Athos were telling me I had to, I had to get baptized. I, I had been chrismated, but I hadn't been baptized. And all of the, all of the monks in Mount Athos were telling me and insisting that you know I had to be baptized. And um, well, I shouldn't say insisting; they were they were they were encouraging me to get baptized. Right? Some were insisting, and some were encouraging. And uh, and they they very very much believed 
that the church was was one. That there's only one church. It's not two churches. There's not three churches. It's not four churches or five churches. Two thousand churches. There's only one Orthodox church. And having been raised a Protestant, and having without really even considered the teaching, I had just kind of assumed the branch theory of the Protestant church, which is the idea that like the church split up at the beginning, the the early church was one. And then over the course of time, you know, the the church split into two. And then from there, it split into many, many branches. It was all the same tree, but there's many, many, many branches. So we're all connected, but there's many branches. So I had this idea in my mind without ever really consciously accepting it or, or believing in it by choice necessarily, but it, it just, it just, seemed to me to be obvious, right? Because my def- my definition of Christian was someone who believed that Jesus Christ is God and they believe in the Holy Trinity. So everybody everybody who believed those basic principles for me was a Christian. And so there was thousands of churches. How could, how could, and it's obvious there's thousands of churches because just look, just go through America. There's, there's churches on every corner, all kinds of shape and form and all this kind of stuff. So to me, it was absurd, really, really bothered me that these um, that these uh, monks were so convinced uh, they're very gentle about it, but they were so convinced that there's only one church, one true church. And so this was really bothering me. And I was reading the Holy Fathers as much as I could to try to prove the uh, that teaching wrong, to try to prove that to uh, my uh, friends, the Athenite monks, that they were wrong, that there were many churches. So I'd read and read and read and read and talk and talk. And I didn't argue with these people because I, I knew better than that. And I was trying to be a Christian. And so this one particular day, I got a blessing from the abbot because I, I was living. I mean, I wasn't I didn't ever really want to be a monk, but I did uh, love uh, the spirituality of the monks and how loving and kind they were and how dedicated they were. So I was living with the monks and I was trying to uh, kind of live that lifestyle. So I tried to do everything with the blessing of the abbot. So I got a blessing from the abbot to go to Vatupedi Monastery, which is about a five-hour hike from Kutlumusiu, where I was staying. And so as I'm struggling with these thoughts, I'm hiking, you know, and it's a, it's a five-mile hike, So it's, and it's not an easy hike. It's not a hard hike, but it's not an easy hike. It's this, you know, rough terrain in certain spots, and you're climbing up. It's hot, and uh, this... this um, I kept thinking to myself, this is, you know, this is just, this is just ridiculous. You know, these people... They think they're the only the only uh, true church in the world, and they and they you know they basically think you know these people they think that you know all of the other churches are just like a like a drop of water like the like the Orthodox Church this huge ocean of grace and you know the all of the other churches just like this this like little drop of water you know this is horrible this is how they think and this thought repeated in my mind you know for this 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 this. For the largest portion of this five-hour journey, I was like repeating this thought in my mind: How can they? How can they believe this? How can they believe that this orth- the orthodoxy? They're so arrogant. Orthodoxy is this huge, huge, huge ocean of grace, and all of the other churches, you know, the Catholics and the Protestants, they're just a little tiny drop of water. I mean, this is like this is. I'm getting. I wasn't furious, but I was very, very upset, and I was offended by this this kind of approach. Because when I would talk with them, they, were, they kind of looked at me like. <laughs> What are you crazy? There's other churches. No, it's orthodoxy, right? So I'm, I'm going and I'm walking, and this and this thought is just bothering me. And I'm like, how can they believe this? How can they do this? And when I get to when I finally get to the Vatupeti monastery, there's a there's a TV crew and they're videotaping. They're they're you know whatever they're doing with TV cameras. Uh, this monk and it's kind of a big kind of 
big monk. I mean, kind of tall, broad shoulders, very manly. Uh, and he happened to be American, which there's not that many American monks on Mount Athos, at least not back then, back in 2000, and, uh, 2000, 1999, whenever that year was. And uh, so I hear him uh, giving an interview in, in uh, Greek to these to, to these uh, TV crew. And I could understand Greek. I can't remember what they were talking about. And, the, and it wrapped up, you know, they had these big lights on them and they had this couple of people around with the microphones and all this kind of stuff. And there was a bunch of commotion around there. And then as they were there, I kind of walked up right where they were wrapping up. When they were kind of wrapping up this, this interview and uh, he could tell that I was American. So he started speaking in English and uh, he was not just an English speaker, but he was from America. And we were talking and we were talking and, and, uh, and uh, I had talked about, you know, I said something about, you know the church and orthodoxy and he said yes yes orthodoxy it's it's an amazing thing in orthodoxy there's this amazing ocean of grace and all of the other churches are kind of like a, a dirty mud puddle right so it was it was a very uh like i i, I did after he said that i didn't have any response i couldn't i didn't have any words and i just kind of like walked away and and it was a, it was a beautiful uh, it was a beautiful uh, response because it was generous, it was loving, and uh, it gave a little bit more credit to the Protestants and the Catholics and all the other churches than I had given uh, to the Orthodox, calling it one drop of water. You know, it's like a it's like a big a dirty mud puddle. And so this that's not to, as an insult to our Catholic and Protestant friends, uh, but that that happened to me. Uh, I don't know what that means, uh, but it was a little bit like uh, what happened in the story that we heard. Where uh, there were this, there was this thought, and this thought came back to us uh, in, in the exact or almost the exact same words. So thank you. Um, if you have listened to the end here, uh, thank you for uh, clicking on on our on our uh, podcasts. This is the idea of the podcast is to encourage us because we're living in very very strange and difficult times. We're not, I'm not trying to make a whole lot of theology here. I'm not trying to talk about uh, interpretations of things. I'm not trying to prove anything to anybody in the sense that, like, uh, if, if you don't want to believe what we say, then don't believe it. <laughs> That's up to you. Uh, I, I, Up until now, all of the things that we've read and, and have spoken about are from people that I believe 100%. That's me. That's my choice. Uh, of course, the Orthodox Church is true. Of course, the Orthodox Church is uh, salvific. And this, this particular podcast is just kind of a reminder that regular, average people uh, oftentimes live and experience amazing miracles that are beyond the explanation of uh, you know these kind of narrow-minded uh, materialists and and people who who claim to be rational. So that being said, that's all I have for you today. Uh, may you be blessed, and hopefully, with this with the help of the Lord, we'll send out another podcast uh, next week. So thank you very much. God bless. Um, hello, I just want to make a little addendum here. Sorry. Uh, the, the last uh, talk, I, I, the last explanation I had for what happened to me when I went to Vatupedi Monastery, I just want to make it clear that, um, you know, the Orthodox Church does teach that there's only one true church. So uh, that that was the biggest problem for me when I was becoming Orthodox to embrace that um, reality. 
and and I'm not going to get into the theology of it, uh, but it's 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 not from when you co- when you're coming from an orthodox perspective, it's not intended to be offensive to anybody. It's just the idea that uh, Christ actually succeeded in creating a church that will not be corrupted because He is incorrupt, and He succeeded in His mission in overcoming the devil. It's not meant to condemn uh, people who are not in the orthodox church. It's meant to underline the fact that Christ is victorious over death and over the devil, and that uh, death and the devil are the ones who bring division. And so the church is untouched by uh, the division that Christ, that the devil uh, spawns, right? So there are people in the church that get touched by it, but the church in its ensemble or in its essence uh, is not ever divided, nor can it be divided. It is one holy Orthodox Church. I didn't. I don't think I was very clear about that, and I feel like it's my duty and responsibility to be clear about that, precisely because it was so difficult for me to accept, and I did everything I could in my in my from my entire being to try to prove it wrong. <laughs> it, took, it, took, it took years of me trying to prove it wrong in order to finally accept it and to understand that the church's teaching about it is not at all an effort to condemn anyone. It's it's actually an invitation for them to be saved in that one true church. So, sorry, even though I said I wasn't going to get into the theology of it, uh, I, I did want to make it clear um, and uh, extend that invitation to anyone who's orthodox to rejoice in that unity, anyone who's not orthodox to don't be offended by it, but to try to understand that it's an open invitation for you to taste of the uh, of that unity. So sorry for that um, little theological intervention there, and uh, may you may you be blessed. Amen.